When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. I'm Elaine Ayala, and this is Nosotros. The Southwest Voter Registration Education Project is the oldest and largest nonpartisan Latino voter participation organization in the United States and was founded in San Antonio by the late voting rights champion, Willie Velasquez. Southwest Voter will turn 50 in 2024 and continues to do what it always has done register Latino voters and get them to the polls. It has filed 210 lawsuits protecting the right to vote. And in this episode, Southwest Voters President Lydia Camarillo looks back at its origins, at how the Nixon administration played a role in it, and the dramatic increase in Latino voters since 2018, and what population shifts will mean to future elections. Note to listeners, this conversation was taped before early voting and the November 8th midterm elections. And I'm so glad you're with us today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to be here. We have so much to talk about in terms of voting, education, and the future of democracy. Mm -hmm. And I want to start with some history because Willie... Velasquez is a legend, but he's also probably unknown to generate newer generations of people, especially outside of the Mexican-American population and and uh, definitely the larger uh, Latino population. He founded Southwest Voter Registration and Education Project here in San Antonio. You can give us some history there. Talk about Willie Velasquez, especially for those that don't know how influential he was in the Southwest um, voter uh, organization, but also nationally, statewide, and locally on on voting. Willie Velasquez was a giant of his time. He understood the future before we knew what the future would be like. It's important we put it in context. It was 1968 when a group of Latino leaders, mostly lawyers that were members of LULAC, were having a discourse about the discrimination and the presence or lack of presence of Latinos in America. As part of that discourse, they decided that they were going to start the Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund, MALDEF, and modeled after the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Willie was part of that conversation, that discussion, and he felt not being a lawyer, being a young person, he was in his early 20s, uh, he thought that he could start the the Southwest Voter Registration Education Project modeled after the NAACP Voter Fund. That's how it began. So in 1968, Maldive was started. It took Willie six years to incorporate it into a 501c3 because the, the Nixon administration was blacklisting him and blocking him from registering Mexican-Americans to vote. That's how it all began. But it started with Willie having a folding table, a folding chair, a rotary phone, 
a phone book and he would go down the line calling one by one men and women, Latinos in San Antonio, asking them if they were registered to vote. And if they weren't, could he make an appointment to come and register them in the evening? And he did that for a very long time. We're now 48 years old. In 2024, we're uh, going to celebrate 50 years of existence. Willie uh, started what I would think uh, an organization that wasn't fighting for us to vote, but instead was fighting for our democracy and our right for our existence. He was fighting so that we would have dignity and respect, whether we were documented or not, whether we were native born or not. That's Willie's legacy. It also, uh, from the from the organizational functional point of view, Willie started registration projects. Then he realized no matter how many folks we registered to vote, how many Latinos we registered to vote, case on point in one of the Senate races, uh, he realized Latinos are never going to elect one of their own as long as districts are drawn at large. And that's when he began having a conversation with Maldive and asking them, in fact, at the time it was Joaquin Avila, and asked, can we start dividing up the, the state and separating and dividing, uh, changing systems from at large to single member district. So that's the second part of his legacy is registering, empowering, and then changing systems from at large to single member districts so that Latinos would have a voice. And so since we opened our doors, we have registered over 3 million uh, Latinos. We have trained 150,000 Latino leaders, and we have won 210 voting rights lawsuits. We have several lawsuits that are currently pending. One of them is the Texas redistricting. We sued on all four uh, maps. In the last cycle, in 2011, we sued in two, the State House and the Congress. This time we sued for the Congressional, the State Senate, the State House, and the State Board of Education. In essence, we believe that given the seats that they that the state of Texas weakened, made them str- not strong enough that Latinos could elect a candidate of choice, uh, and the and the districts that we proposed that could be drawn given the population growth in the last cycle and this cycle, we we are basically losing fifteen districts, fifteen districts where Latinos could elect a candidate of the choice. That's ridiculous. That's there's some states that don't even have two districts. Talk about fifteen districts that were stolen. Uh, so that's uh, part of what we're doing. The other one is Senate Bill One, which is a whole lot of bills that have been passed and enacted by the state of Texas, basically creating a system where Latinos can, can never register to vote in the way that they should, and and are creating barriers so that we don't turn out to vote. This the most recent one, this one SB One. Uh, allows for partisans to step into the booth where you're voting and stand the nariz and nariz, nose to nose, stopping you from voting and checking out to see what you're doing. Uh, you and I, uh, Elaine, would stop the person and even tell him, basta, muevete mm-hmm. aquí, leave me alone. Yep. But we some, would dismiss them, but there are voters that would not, that would, wouldn't be sure if their voting rights are secured. Correct. And they would be embarrassed or they would be ashamed or they would just walk out or they would not bother to show up. So that's part of the problem. The other thing is that they're taking away the opportunity for us to provide assist doors. That is to say, if I speak only Spanish, I don't read well because I can't see well anymore. I, 
we used to be able to walk in and help the voter with the language issues, with sight issues, with anything that they need, including interpreting the the law, the, the whatever they were voting for, as long as you weren't uh, giving any judgment on what you were voting for. That is no longer allowed. So we're suing on that. Uh, in the last cycles, we also sued uh, the census, the federal government, because they didn't want us to be counted. So we have a long history of uh, protecting democracy and de- protecting the vote. Uh, and that's who, we're, who we are. I mean, why do we stand here today still? Uh, I think when Willie opened the organization, Southwest Voter, his vision was that someday we would all be treated with respect and dignity. We are not there yet. I do not know if we'll be able to accomplish that in my in my children's generation or their children's children's generation. There is too far too much uh, racism right now in America. There is fascism in America, uh, and there are uh, orchestrated, organized, funded efforts to stop us from voting. Well, that is a great introduction, if I've ever heard one. How long have you been with Southwest Voter? Tell us a little bit about your story. I I've been with Southwest Voter. I've been I've had the honor to work with South, for Southwest Voter for about twenty six years. Um, I was working with Baldev when Antonio Gonzalez, the third president of Southwest Voter, uh, asked me if I would join Southwest Voter, and I moved to San Antonio, and it's been an honor. Uh, unfortunately, we lost Antonio in November of eleventh uh, in twenty eighteen, and then I became what a shock. He had cancer, and he fought. He did his best to fight it. He was a fighter. He all the way to the end, he fought to survive and to live. He was living for his wife and his children, and for the work that we're doing. Unfortunately, uh, uh, cancer beat him, mm-hmm. and so we lost him. And so that's when I became the president. But I would have been here no matter what, because uh, I believe that what we're doing and what we do at Southwest Voter is, is a call of, 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 of justice. It's a call of making sure that uh, when I say that we're looking for uh, an opportunity to have respect and dignity, I mean it. Uh, there, there are so many people, our community that is not treated well. Uh, we know at the Supreme Court level, uh, w- we women here in Texas, whether you believed in Roe versus Wade or not, we're still women and we want to be able to control our own bodies. Uh, even to say, if you're pro-life, I'm, I'm pro-life. But uh, I think the question for us now is that the Supreme Court also says that they want to dismantle other laws, reverse other Supreme Court rulings, including Plyler versus Stowe. Pilot versus Doe is a, a case that was uh, put forth by Maldiv and uh, Vilma Martinez and her team uh, uh, that gave the right to every child who was undocumented to be given the right to be educated in America in public schools. That's a disaster in, if we let it happen. And so that's what we're fighting for. We're fighting for people to have an opportunity to fulfill their true dreams in America as America promised us. And it's a, it's a, it's a big thing. It's, it's not a simple thing. It's it, uh, America, particularly America, as we have, if we are fighting some horrible situations today is not a perfect union. We have a lot of work to do, 
but we as Latinos are going to be a very important part of that fabric and we're going to create it in such a way that our children can be proud of their parents and their grandparents and those of us that uh, are here to make a difference. You talked earlier about all the obstacles um, before the voter just to get to the ballot box. Um, it includes voter ID laws for sure, which are now a requirement everywhere, which too um, many people still see as non-obstacles. Um, talk about that and about all the new and ingenious, and I mean that sarcastically, the ingenious ways that some states like Texas are using to dissuade voters, especially certain voters, from exercising their rights. When um, the state legislature passed the Texas voter ID, very few states had enacted such laws. Uh, this is pre-before the United States Supreme Court ruling Shelby versus uh, Alabama. What's important about that is that before the Shelby ruling, we had what was called, as part of the Voting Rights Act, Section 5, which allowed us to ask the Department of Justice, the United States Justice Department, to come and determine whether or not the changes in anything having to do with elections were done in a way that would not violate the voting rights and the United States Constitution of voters. It was called pre-clearance. It was called exactly pre-clearance, Section 5. What the court said in, in Shelby was because... We now have a president that's African-American. We must no longer have discrimination. And therefore, if there is still discrimination, Congress must redetermine which jurisdictions, states, communities, uh, counties, cities, states uh, still discriminate. Uh, and they must pass that which is what we're trying to make sure we pass at the federal level, the John Lewis, it's called after the Congressman John Lewis, which by the way, Willie Velasquez got trained and mentored by John Lewis on how to register voters. I didn't know that. That's fabulous. That's part of the history. That's part of the history. Well, the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act would allow us to have back the jurisdictions that would determine that Texas, Alabama, and other states still discriminate, including some jurisdictions in California and New York and Chicago that are considered more progressive. And then we would also then have Section 5, which is the preclearance. Uh, the preclearance was from simple things like, why are we dropping some ballots? Uh, I'm sorry. Why aren't ballots in, in our languages? Why are we closing uh, voting hours? Why are we closing voting sites to the redistricting process and, and the voter ID? At that time, the courts, the, the D.C. court, the federal D.C. court determined, uh, as our claim was, that it violated our rights. And uh, we, we won that victory, but very shortly Shelby happened and it was declared. And therefore, we now have voter ID and most of the states have voter ID. Why is that a problem? Uh, and why are some folks arguing it's like a banking thing? You, you right. do banking, you I, go. I hear from, from readers all the time that everyone sh has or should have a state um, recognized picture ID that is should be a formality. Everyone should have it. When we argued that the voter ID would prohibit voters who have the right to vote from voting, 
uh, we knew uh, that it would impact the African-American and the Latino community. But to our surprise, we found a lot of elder white nuns, nuns, who because of, of their dedication and their calling to become nuns, didn't have the correct documentation to prove they were in fact American citizens and could not get an ID and were prohibited from, from voting. So I, I use, I, I bring and I remind us that it was white elder women who were prohibited from voting with a voter ID. But that was the same case for Latinos and blacks who might not have the documentation, who might have been uh, at the time when they were born, uh, they were born in their casas and they didn't have the, the perfect certificates because the, the midwives and all of them didn't give them the right paperwork that they then had to take. There was a lot of cases like that. It's unfortunate, but it's true. There are many people in America that don't have the right inf documentation to prove who they are in order to get a birth certificate, which they then need to get the voter ID. And... Um I will remind our our um, listeners that when we at the paper do stories about the homeless, we quickly surmise that one of their most important obstacles, one of their chief obstacles they face is they don't have an ID, mostly because they don't have a place to live or they've been thrown out of where they were living. Their their belongings are often destroyed, lost, um, and, um, and it takes some money and time and transportation to get all of those replaced. So various organizations that assist the homeless, like one not too far from here, Christian Assistance Ministries, they're just down the street here. And every day a week, if you go to their to their lobby where they're helping people and taking them, just they take a number and they sit down and then they're helped for whatever question they want. And one of the first things is, uh, I need help getting my ID. Um. People who have been jailed for even a short amount of time often are released and they don't have all their documents going in or their documents aren't taken care of when they're there and they come out and they have no ID. And everywhere they go, even to Catholic charities, they need an ID. The, the thing we discovered is that they were also not going to have many sites where the rural communities could drive to. And driving, uh, especially in day, today's t time, that the the gas is so expensive. So, but even in those times where the gas is, wasn't costing as much as it has been in this uh, time, uh, it was uh, a prohibitive for many folks, uh, as well as the cost to get a copy of a birth certificate. Uh, I don't remember, I don't know how much it costs now, but I know that it's been as much as $35 plus, but you add $35 plus if you work and you have to take the day off to go do this, plus if you drive and it's 50 to 100 miles away. And if you don't drive, you have to get somebody to drive you and you need to help pay for for that exercise. There's so the, many barriers. The bus, the, the childcare, all those expenses are what we called hidden uh Hidden, uh, my goodness, the poll tax. It's a hidden poll tax. Thank you so very much. Um, I, th I think that, that what we need to remember is that if we are truly going to be a leader in democracy, and when I say we, I mean America, 
is a leader in democracy and claims to be the leader in democracy when other countries are not fulfilling the right for people to have democracies at the way that they should, then we should be the example of making sure that everybody has the right to vote and those who have the right to vote the process is made much easier at the registration level as well as the vote level and ultimately that their vote is counted. Uh, we have to worry in America that any election, uh, this this is true when uh, in 2000 when Gore lost and we knew and learned about the chats and he lost by less than 600 votes because of the Florida electoral votes ultimately ended up 600 votes. But we learned. I'll always have a big question mark on that election. It, it is a question mark. And I think there were some mistakes made by the Gore campaign. But at the end of the day, I think everybody will argue what Trump argues is that the, the, the election was lost with Gore, but not with Trump. Mm-hmm. But what I was also uh, trying to bring to light is the fact that I learned around that time that I didn't realize this. Just because you vote doesn't mean your vote will be counted. And in every presidential election, at least a million votes are not counted. A million votes. Yes. That's uh, that's a lot. That's a tragedy. But it but it happens all the time. I mean, even local um, elections officials will say, you know, what we have here is an estimation. And the estimation is usually very sound and there's no it wouldn't have changed the elections but if you count all of the maybe sort of this one came in late you know we didn't count these in the end um it's it's always a promise it's always the promise that all of them will be counted what's sad is but not to the extent that former president trump well yes yeah but i mean uh, let's put aside trump for a second a million votes is a million votes. And I'm not talking about provisional ballots. I'm talking about people that go in, do what they're supposed to do, and something happens and their vote is not counted. That is unacceptable in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we, if the bank knows how much money we have to the penny, yes, and they will take uh, our money to the penny, it's the same with the IRS. There's no excuse that we can't right. count everything. And vote. they're rarely wrong. And, and so I think what I'm say, I'm suggesting is that in America, if we want to be the leaders about democracy and democracy in America is in crisis, we have to fight to perfect it perfect so that we truly it. are a leader. Perfect it. Um, I wanted um, in that question, um, I wanted also to mention that um, I was really just so impressed with the ways in which so many jurisdictions decided to help voters during the pandemic. It was inspiring. I specifically look to um, Houston, um, Harris County, where the county judge there found all these ways, um, 24-7 voting places where you could drive up at two in the morning if that was the best time for you and get it out of the way and not face the line um, or drive by sort of uh, voting or having so many places where you can drop off a ballot and know that it's secure, that it will be the possession of the county, that they will be counted. Um, I know this is a dream, but I just think that in generations from now, They'll read about how we vote and say, God, you know, I can vote on my phone. 
till the very last minute or first thing when the I just think that where we are now is so prehistoric <laughs> in terms of how we will someday. Are you hopeful in that way too? Well, I'm always hopeful. I've always see the world in a the the glass is half full. So even when I feel that 15 districts were stolen and I use the word very stolen and we filed a lawsuit and we sued and we believe uh, hopefully we will win that um, we still have to organize and register and beat the situation if not in court uh, on the in the ground on the ground fighting for that uh, I think that uh, people will look in a hundred years 50 years maybe even 20 years to say that we vote uh, in a way that is, uh, contrary to uh, wisdom, because as you said, if you are a citizen, you should be given the right to vote without worrying about it. You should vote like in most states where you can vote, autumn, uh, register to vote on the same day and Absolutely, then go vote. as you do in um, Boston, Massachusetts. In California, uh, in mm -hmm. California, as soon as the pandemic hit, their first question was, how do we make sure that people are safe and secure and do not catch the virus mm -hmm. while at the same time have the opportunity to exercise their right to vote and vote in the elections. So what did they do? They automatically sent every registered voter a car, uh, a ballot. They haven't stopped that. That's what they're doing. Uh, and in, in Texas. Seems to me pretty simple if you really want people to vote. It's very simple. And, and that's why I think we have to give uh, Judge Lena uh, Hidalgo, Hidalgo uh, a lot of credit because she was thinking, given the law, what can I do to facilitate the process? And that's why she did the 24 hours. And we saw anywhere from 10 to 30,000 people voting because some people cannot vote because they're working all the way to the end. Uh, it's not that they're being lazy. It's that the time given their their daily um you know, barriers, obligations, don't let them do Their that. Demands I, every freaking day. They, I'm sorry, the, you probably have to remove freaking from the. Okay. The the children, uh, you know, they're in school, they're working, whatever. But she did some incredible stuff that immediately in the following legislation, the Texas legislation prohibited those kinds of things right away. The, right away, they, they were was, too successful. They were too successful. The other thing that they did is they they. Um, they sued when uh, folks try to ask for the pandemic when you have the um, when your system is immune and you're worried about the pandemic and you wanted to vote with uh, the vote by mail, but you weren't 65 years old. They sued and they won where it's not allowed. So if you're someone who has cancer or diabetes in a, in a way that it's very serious, because I know. Some people think diabetes is nothing that serious when in fact it is. Uh, uh, you're not allowed to do that. You have to be 65 and over. Other estates are sending the ballots at home and there are no problems. There are no issues. There's no such thing as fraud. In this state, when the voter ID back to the voter ID passed, they spent over a million dollars, the state of Texas, to prove that there was fraud and they found nothing. People that are, let, well, the let, I can speak wholeheartedly about where the Latino community is because I, not only am I a Latina, but I, I work with the Latino community in getting them engaged and registered and, and participate in America's democracy. And I can tell you that people always tell us, no puedo porque no soy ciudadana. 
Mm-hmm. I can't register because I'm not a citizen or I can't register because I've committed a felony and I'm dealing with that right now. But And then we remind those who are going through uh, the legal process of completing their um, the, the, the whatever they were charged with. Once you are told that you've completed everything, you have the right to go back to vote. And to the citizens or the, rather the non-citizens, we remind them that if they become, uh, a, if they're able to naturalize, eventually they will able to vote. And that that's a piece that we're always working. But people know that if you're not a citizen, you can't vote. And you, no one wants to put their family at stake of being deported. So they're not going to break any laws. Texas, however, did, uh, and they're doing it again, uh, did argue that 100,000 men and women who were became uh, naturalized citizens along the way, but got their driver's license, then became naturalized citizens, then registered and voted that they had no right to vote. We, of course, sued mm-hmm. and we were able to demonstrate that they all these folks were, in fact, legal citizens, mm-hmm. uh, naturalized citizens who had the right to vote. And we demanded that the state uh, f- send an apology and not ask them to re-register because they were legitimately yes. and correctly registered. We're fighting that again. And in fact, the Secretary of State had to resign as a result of our efforts. And so we'll continue to fight for democracy. Um, but you're right. My hope is that someday we can, you know, kind of like one of those Star Wars movies where we are uh, doing things and transforming into other worlds and other places. <laughs> there will be a time um, as the Latino population continues to grow and understands the the barriers that are placed on us, that we will dismantle them and create a system where we will easily register to vote and vote and that every vote will be counted and not one million of them are lost forever. That's right. And and it'll be assurance for everyone that all their votes are, are counted. Okay, let's talk a little bit about voting trends. I'm always fascinated with voting trends in general, what um, what people see after an election, and um, and especially trends among Latino voters. Um, so tell us about that. Um, you know, considering the last couple of cycles, um, how what are we doing? How are we doing? Um, do you see some places where we've uh, improved, and perhaps some places where we need to? We rededicate ourselves. I'm very proud to tell you that we have seen a dramatic increase in voter registration in Texas that I haven't seen since I've worked doing this kind of work for, like I said, 25 years. Since the last cycle? Since the last cycle, but in the last 25 years, I have seen Texas stagnate at 2.6 million registered Latino voters, 2.7, 2.8, 2.6, 2.7, because people die, people move. Mm-hmm. And the work that we do didn't seem to uh, do any real big dent. And then the new numbers come out this uh, this year, and we discover that uh, from 2018 there were 2.8 million registered Latino voters. In do, in I'm only talking about Texas. Only Texas, okay. And today there are 3.7 million registered Latino voters. Latino voters in Texas. Which means that we grew from 2018 to 2016 uh, by almost 800,000 votes. 
and another 200 from this cycle, which means and we're not done. Yesterday was the last day to register to vote. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to get a better feel for uh, if we grew any further. But I think there's three factors. One is the Trump factor. Uh, 2018 uh, was the second year that Trump was president and they began to see all the things that he was doing to destroy America and the fascism that was involved in his conversation and actions. The white supremacy movement. The white supremacy. Which came out of hiding. It's always been there, but came out in full force. So people were very, very afraid and very scared. And so I call it the Trump factor. The second thing is I think that uh, Latinos are tired. Uh, they they have witnessed California and Arizona and other states um, get out of the uh, ashes and surface in a way that they're uh, pushing legislation because their vote Latinos are voting and they're electing candidates of their choice, which promotes their self-interest. The third, I think, is not only the work that we do, but the work that other groups do uh, in Texas. And so, and finally, Texas is now a competitive state. We've been saying that Texas would be, once Texas would be a competitive state, more resources would be spent to register voters and mobilize voters. I'm always told, why do you just register voters? And I remind them, if I have enough resources, I'm going to do both. If I have enough resources, I'm going to turn out high propensity voters, which is hopefully everybody in this room. High propensity is the ones that our candidates want to get to. Right. Right. And then there's low propensity voters. And then there's new voters that registered in that cycle or will be voting for the first time in that cycle. New voters vote at a higher rate than low propensity voters. Low propensity voters require more work, more engagement, more resources. High propensity voters we just need to be reminded, go out and vote. And perfect voters, we know that we must go vote. Porque si no, uh, you we know, we're, we help we're, others we're vote. around Halloween time. Si no llega la llorona. Si. <laughs> <laughs> la llorona. So, um, now, when you mentioned how many more Latinos are registered to vote in Texas, how many of those are brand new voters? I mean, kids who turned 18. One million are new. Uh, they, one million more people have registered. But here's the interesting thing. It is not 18 and 19 year olds only. It's people our age who see and saw, that's again, the Trump factor. Oh, wow. So, so they're they, new voters, but they could be in their 40s, 50s or whatever. Correct. Wow. So, so that was a surprise for me too, because, mm -hmm. you know, we, we always figure that it's basically, uh, young folks who need to be engaged. Uh, but for a Southwest voter, we have been contacting since 2019, 1,000 high schools uh, every year to mm -hmm. register voters. And we are doing that. We did that in 2019. And is that throughout the state or in, in South Texas? Where are you located? It's throughout the state. Okay. Targeting uh, areas where we think is uh, important, both urban and rural. Mm-hmm. And it includes South Texas, but it includes, of course, Bear County, but it includes Dallas and Fort Worth and Harris County and El Paso uh, and those states. And we've been doing that in 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. We did that also with the community colleges, and we have uh, a competition, which as of this minute, I don't know who won or who lost because we haven't uh, uh, yet done that assessment. The committee is going to do it. But our goal, I think, in 
uh, is to turn out voters and work with voters and engage communities. Uh, but the Trump factor was a big factor. Uh, and so I think uh, we are expecting 1 million more people to, will vote compared to 2018 in 2022. Uh, but the thing that people forget is that we think about 2.9 million Latinos will cast their vote. And we believe 1.3 million African-Americans will vote and about 450,000 Asians will vote. But there's going to be about 6.7 million white voters that will vote. And so and not all. There's, they're in the majority in, in terms of voters. They're in the majority in terms of voters uh, for several reasons. The Latino community is now the majority population. When the redistricting factor, when we were doing redistricting and we were county, there were 39.8% uh, percent of the population was white and 39, 39.8 was white and 39.4 was uh, Latino. Uh, however, we believe there was an undercount, and we're not going to we're not going to deal with that issue today. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you that today, forty percent of the population is Latino, and the white community still stays the same at thirty nine. So we are now the official largest population in Texas. Latinos are make up the largest population, though. Probably a greater number of those are young and still not able to vote. Well, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Elaine. Uh, that's exactly the point. Uh, there is uh, one third of our population are children or underage, under 18. Uh, one third of our population are not citizens. That doesn't mean they're here undocumented, but they're not citizens. They may have the green card, but they don't have, mm -hmm. they're not naturalized. So we have a lot of work to do. But we are now officially the population and we must act like the majority and demand that we are respected with the majority. And back to redistricting, uh, while the population is 39.8% white, they control 60% of the districts. Yes. So a lot of work ahead of us. Okay. I wanted to ask about a voter apathy. You know, that is such um, the term that is used for voters who are registered voters versus voters who come out and actually cast a ballot. Uh, how do you explain it? I first of all, I do not believe that voter Latinos have apathy. If they do not vote, they have a reason. One of them is. Why bother to vote if I, my vote is going to be wasted because it's not fully counted? Clear case on point is a redistricting. In District 15, which is a, one of the Valley ones that has was weakened, it means that they were drawn originally as Latino majority seats where Latinos would elect a candidate of choice. Now that is no longer the case. So if you're an astute uh, a voter and you know, I'm going to get everybody to vote. I'm going to get everybody to register to vote, but we're going to still lose because there's not enough of us in that district. Why bother? Yes. So that's one scenario. The second scenario is that uh, sometimes uh, we're not contacted. We don't even know there's an election. And why are we expecting Latinos turn out to turn out to vote at the same level that other voters are when there's no investment? Case on point. When... Uh, uh, President Obama ran the second time around. He wasn't even uh, in a true competitive election. Yet he spent $6 billion in his campaign. Romney spent $6 billion. 
they're both sides, the Republican Party over here, the DNC, the RNC, the DNCC, the DCCC, D, mm-hmm. it's DCCC, I think. DCCC, yeah. the D, DSCC, and the environment and labor on this side, mm-hmm. and the Koch brothers on this side, and corporations on the other side, they each spent another $6 billion. Yes. That's $12 billion spent in inactivating voters in that are eight competitive districts mm-hmm. and yet in those districts you did not see a large expansion of voters that registered to vote nor did you see more than 75 percent of the voters to turn out to vote so why are we expecting latinos to turn out to vote if we're not investing in them except that's for right. the little work that southwest voters does that is never enough because the state is huge the state is huge yeah okay one last one and it's um it's uh Oh, God. It's what keeps me up at night. Okay. We saw in the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol building a real-time attack on democracy. Connect that threat to voting rights. Well, the essence of January 6th is when I refer to we're in a crisis in democracy. The fact that we have deniers that believe that the election was stolen and that Trump should have won, the fact that they took over a building and if you and I had gone in there, Castamon Morenitas, they would have shot us before we even made it past a certain line. Never would have made it. Never would have made it. African-American tampoco. Asians tampoco. But the fact that they were able to- The Black Lives Matter movement, had they had a protest- that would have been a massacre. Everybody would have been killed or put in jail or something. Uh, but the point is that January 6th is something we should all be afraid of and concerned and work against it happening again. It basically means that we have people who think that because Latinos and Blacks aren't deciding the elections, because in the last election we can prove that Georgia and Arizona and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, uh, Latinos helped to take that those elections towards the uh, electoral votes going to the Democratic candidate. They're not. They're trying to stop us from voting. There is, as I said, an organized effort to stop us, whether it's at the state level with the various laws, or whether it's January six. January six is. A, an example of people who hate Latinos and Blacks, and they want to stop us from taking um, over. And when I say taking over, I'm not referring to the kind of discrimination that we have felt. I'm talking about we're growing, we're the population, mm-hmm. and they're going to lose their election. They're going to lose their seats by the very essence of the demography growing. Uh, but it's not going to happen by itself. We have to register folks. We have to organize them. And we have to make sure that we invest in them so that they turn out to vote. Democracy uh, is is only as strong as its weakest link. And we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of very weak links in democracy. And we're so young at it yet. Thank you so much for joining us, Lydia. It's a pleasure. It's always great and terrible to talk with you. <laughs> No, no, no. Remember, one million more Latinos yes, in Texas. Uh, I'm going to go back to the very beginning and, re- and and listen to that over and over in a loop so I feel better about what's going on. Thank you so much. Thank you.